The following sermon is by Dr. Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Josh. In Matthew 13, we're introduced to a word that has not been used yet in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's the word parable. For 12 chapters, there has been no use of the word parable, and Jesus has not spoken parabolically. So why does he start using parables in Matthew 13? And why is it exclusively parables all the way through Matthew 13? We get our first clue in verse 1. You see verse 1 of Matthew 13, that same day. Same day as what? If you were here last week, you know, same day as what? Same day that the unforgivable sin occurred. Same day that the Pharisees and many in the crowd decisively, stubbornly refused to accept the Spirit's revelation about who Jesus Christ is. Our next clue is in verse 2. And great crowds gathered around him. Matthew contains five discourses. This is the only one of five given to the crowds. So Jesus now speaks in parables. But what is the purpose of parables? If you have the handout today, you only have my notes on the soil. But if you go to our website and download my fuller notes, you can read some of this later. But for today, just try to follow along. Jesus gives three reasons why he speaks in parables. We're in Matthew 13, and we're going to pick up in verse 10. And we'll see the first reason Jesus speaks in parables. Verse 10, then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. The first reason Jesus spoke in parables was to conceal as an act of judgment. Now, if you've grown up in church or you've been around church, you maybe have never heard parables described that way. They're normally described as very simple stories that are entertaining so that even children can understand. We're often told parables are meant to be entertaining and easily accessible. But when Jesus is asked why he speaks in parables, he answers so that people will be concealed, and that there will be further judgment. Now, it's important to understand that that judgment comes because they have been refusing the revelation God has already given, so it is a hardening judgment. It is to make revelation more difficult and repentance more challenging. So Jesus first speaks in parables to conceal as an act in judgment, but he also speaks in parables to reveal as a gift of grace. Look in verse 11. And he answered them, to you it has been given. If something is given to you, it is a gift, not something you had already. God gives the gift of, notice the verse continues, knowing the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12, 
For the one who has, more will be, here's the same word again, given. God is a gift of grace, speaks through parables. Notice now verse 16. But blessed, or what a gift of God's goodness to you, are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So God does speak in parables first to conceal as an act of judgment for those who have been refusing what's clear, but then he also speaks in parables as a gift of salvation, of grace, so that those who are willing to hear can understand and grasp even more. So now a third reason Jesus speaks in parables, and that is down in verse 17. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Look down now in verse 34, please, in 35, because he will again explain why he speaks in parables. Verse 34 and 35. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Jesus is speaking in parables to reveal what all the Old Testament has been pointing to, but his revelation of it will be an act of further judgment for some and yet gracious salvation for others. That means that parables, like the gospel itself, are a softening effect on some hearts and yet a hardening effect on other hearts. So that means I have to speak to you very bluntly at the beginning this morning. Jesus is applying the prophecy of Isaiah to himself. In Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, God told the prophet Isaiah that he would share, proclaim the kingdom, the good news, but some people would hear it and it would make them even angrier. Their ears would become more stiff and choked out. Their eyes more blind. Jesus is applying that same description to himself. That's why he finishes his parables with he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The glorious simplicity and profound truths of the gospel are hardening to some and yet softening to others, and it's puzzling the way it actually shakes out. Let me say as a pastor, and you've no doubt seen this too, that many times I've observed over the years, someone who I thought would be responsive to the word of God was unresponsive, and someone who I thought might be unresponsive was surprisingly responsive. The word of God has a human paradoxical effect to soften some and harden others. So let me say this to you this morning, and I only mean to press what Jesus is saying so clearly. This morning, as we go through the foundational parable, you, some of you in this room, will be hardened by it. And some of you in this room will be softened by it. Some of you will hear a parable And it will be a lame agricultural story that has no relevance to your life. Others of you will hear a parable and it'll be life altering. Now I as the preacher am very capable of being boring, (laughs) but Jesus's words aren't. So let us have ears to hear the first parable. Let's look at it now in in verse three. Here's Jesus sitting in a boat where the crowds are gathered at the lakeside and he begins with his foundational parable, verse three. And he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And this is not a parable of the sower, it's a parable of the soils. So let's now notice the four soils, verse three. He told them many things in parables. Let's continue, verse four. And he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. I call this the snatched soil. 
Verse five and six, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. I call this the shallow soil. Verse seven, other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. I call this the smothered soil. Verse eight, other seeds fell on good soil and produced good grain. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And if I was a good pastor, I'd have a fourth S, but I didn't, so I call this the fertile soil. But now Jesus concludes with this pointed phrase in verse nine. He who has ears, let him hear. Now what is a parable? It is a vague and indirect way of saying something, but if you're willing to hear it, you realize it has personal application to you. Let me give you an example from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the prophet Nathan shares with David a parable. David has murdered a man and taken his wife to make her his own. And Nathan comes to him speaking in parable. Rather than being direct, he's indirect and he speaks in parable. Here's essentially what the parable is that Nathan says. Nathan says to King David, imagine a man who owns one sheep and it is his life. He wakes up to see that sheep. He goes to bed caring about that sheep. That sheep is everything to him. But then there's another man who owns countless sheep and he kills the man to take his one singular sheep. Now Nathan says to David, what should be done to a man who would do something like that? And David says a man who would do something like that should be punished. But then Nathan does what every good parable does. Nathan says, this parable is about you. And then David does what everyone who has ears to hear should do. He repents. Now listen this morning. This parable is about you. If you have ears to hear it, you will grasp which one of the four soils you are. But this parable is about you if you have ears to hear it. So now let's see how Jesus unpacks it since it is about all of us. So look down now in verse 18, as Jesus will explain what the parable is. First talking about the snatched soil, Jesus says this in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. We now know that the seed from the parable that's being cast is the word of the kingdom, a phrase that Jesus uses interchangeably with what we might call the gospel or the Bible, the informational truth that God reveals to us in his word. Notice these people hear it, but they don't understand it. And then it is snatched by the devil, by the evil one. So let us now think and hear if this is a description of us. Beware of listening to God's word without it ever making personal penetration into your heart. Can you hear the word without it ever penetrating you so that you grasp it? To help me explain what that's like, I can only testify of God's goodness which enabled me to initially grasp the word. I could tell you where I was sitting and what passage I was in in the Bible when it felt like the word of God that morning was being written with my name on it in big letters. 
Have you ever interacted with the word of God in such a way that it was like the truth grabbed you by the collar, said your very name, and it was, no, this is what you need to do. Your life can never be the same because this is true. If you haven't, you may be the first soil if you have ears to hear. Now the second soil. Verse 20, this is the shallow soil. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. I admit that this second soil is perhaps most vivid in my imagination because of what we've been doing at our home the last couple of weeks. I have many bald spots on the lawn where no grass has been growing, so I've been trying to plant seed. And so I bought Easy Seed. And I hate that they call it Easy Seed because then I feel worse when I fail. (laughs) It's like at the grocery store when it says, easy to open package, and then I really feel embarrassed that I can't open the package. So here I am with Easy Seed, trying to cast it, trying to get it in there, and in God's providence, what was the weather like these last five or six days? Over 90 every day. This description is of seed that never gets down into the soil. It never actually has root. And so when the heat comes, it is scorched. But notice that first, it has joy until there's tribulation. Many people, when they first hear truth, from God, when they first hear the Bible, there's this immediate sense of joy. This is exciting. This is what I need. This will do good things for me. But then when difficulty comes, they're gone. Because the seed never actually got to the root. Do you know why that is? Now, uh, I married a woman from the South. And as I've talked to people from the South, I've, I've heard many people who've heard the word their whole life. And when I ask them, how have you responded to the word? I've heard many stories that sound kind of like this. Well, I was watching TV and my favorite country singer came on and they sang my favorite hymn and I had goosebumps all over my body. And then I say, man, that's great. So how did the word change your life? Well, it never did, but I had this really neat experience when I was watching this show. See, here's something that you really need to grasp about this second soil. They have superficial joy that then disappears when things get difficult, and here's why. In reality, they never joined Jesus' kingdom. They were just okay with Jesus joining their kingdom. See, they have superficial joy because they never viewed Jesus as a savior, but merely a service provider. And the things that they worshiped were the things burned by the sun. So now they have no patience for the seed. Let me tell you something this morning that's very important to know. Your most fundamental problem is not that you are a sufferer in need of a solution, but that you are a sinner in need of a savior. This is why the text says so clearly, they have joy for a time, but they never have repentance. See, the joy is fleeting because when the tribulation comes, they saw benefits, but no need to be born again. If you have ears to hear, consider if you are the second soil. Now the third soil, verse 22, the smothered soil. 
As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. Can, can I pause there? Did you notice all three hear the word? All three. They've all heard the word. They all know the Bible. They're all familiar with the message. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is the scariest of all three that we've looked at so far. The first one is uninterested and so there's never a sense of the seed actually changing anybody. The second one is scarier because there's this short-term excitement that proves to just be superficial. But the third one is the scariest because the seed is next to the thorns for a long, long time. This is someone who hears the word every Sunday, knows the Bible, but it's growing right next to the thing that they love more, the thorns. They have a divided heart. Notice the Bible says the cares of this world, and notice how it describes riches as deceitful. This person is perishing though they've been deceived into thinking they're okay because they know about the word, when in fact their heart's devotion is for something other than the word and the Lord of the word. What's even worse about these people on an experiential level is they're the only three of the soil so far that's miserable. The first soil, the seed never penetrates, they're uninterested, they move on. The second soil has joy for a while, and then they're upset. But this third soil is perpetually miserable because this is the person who knows what the word says and yet they have next to them this thing that they delight in more and so the conflict and the rage in their heart never settles. From the library recently, we often rent a lot more books than I even knew you're allowed to take out of the store. <laughs> My children think I'm rich because they say, Daddy, can we buy this one? And I'm like, yep, watch me buy 30 of them. <laughs> so I take those out of the library and we read them at home. And recently I read one called Daddy Lion. It's a play on the word dandelion or a weed that you would find in your front yard. And it's really a cheeky, fun little story. It's written by two people who once lived in a suburb where people care way too much about their lawn, and they sort of playfully make fun of it. In the story, there's a father and a daughter, and the daughter has this one dandelion in the yard that she loves, because like many children, she thinks it's a flower rather than a weed. So one day when the girl is at school, the dad comes out to mow over the weed and to rip it out because all of his neighbors are pressuring him, get that weed out of here or you're gonna ruin the whole neighborhood, you know? So he goes to get rid of the weed, but he, as he gets close to it, finds a note on the ground that his daughter had left, daddy, please leave this precious flower for me for when I come back from school. And then he doesn't have the, car, the heart to rip out the weed, though the neighbors are saying, you gotta do it, we gotta keep all the lawns green, and he, he just can't do it. Now finally, when he's in disdain, he accidentally turns to leave and with his foot smushes the weed and rips it out. But before his daughter comes home, he gets tape and he rebuilds the weed and replants it and then reseeds it so that when she comes home eventually, the entire lawn is full of weeds and she's thrilled. Now here's the sad but sobering thing about the third soil. Though it has the seed of truth right next to it, there's this other thing that it can't bear to get rid of. And eventually, that misery will mean that the whole field is overtaken by the thorns. 
Let me tell you something this morning that you've maybe never heard in church before. You cannot have Jesus and your sin. You can't. Now, I know in America, we always tell people, hey, all you have to do is believe. You don't have to repent. You don't have to turn around. Do you remember what Jesus' first words were in Matthew 4, 17? Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Do you remember when Jesus said, if you will not deny yourself and take up your cross, you cannot follow me. Do you remember when he said, if you will not forsake father or mother, you're not worthy of me. See, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. So in reality, I know you don't hear it normally, but in reality, you can't with one hand clutch to what Jesus died to free you from, and with the other hand try to clutch clutch Jesus, the thorns will choke out the seed. In fact, if you try to have both, eventually only the thorns and misery will overtake the field. So this morning, why not let the seed clear it and rebuild it? Now we come to the fourth soil. If we have ears to hear, may we know which one Jesus is telling us we are. Verse 23, as for what has sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. This soil is contrasted with all three before it, making clear that the three before it are not believers. Because anyone who would have the root will indeed produce fruit. And all who have the root will produce fruit even though it's varying amounts. But anyone who has received the the word deep into their heart will produce fruit. And don't forget what we read at the beginning. This is a parable of the kingdom. Meaning just like how Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again to enter the kingdom, so also you must receive the word to enter the kingdom. You must listen and hear because salvation is by faith alone. Isn't it remarkable that when Jesus talks about the kingdom, rather than talking about how you must measure up to make it to the kingdom, he instead says how you simply must listen to make it to the kingdom. The kingdom is not made on merit. The kingdom is received by grace through faith. It is for the poor in spirit, not the rich in deeds. And so Jesus says that anyone who will simply receive the word will have root and then they will have fruit. Therefore, the lingering question is the question that Nathan pointed to David that now Jesus points to us. Which soil am I really? Because he is speaking to you and me. Further, we might ask, if I know what kind of soil I am, by God's grace, do I really think about the soil in reality of those close to me in my life? At the end of Matthew 12, it was another scripture that we maybe would have read this morning. Jesus is, is, is said from the crowd, look, your, your mother and your brother are here. And do you know what Jesus responds with? He says, no, the, my mother and my brother are those who do the will of the Father. Sometimes the hardest place for us to be honest about whether or not someone is born again is in our own home, in our own families. People we care so much about that we can't imagine 
that they really wouldn't know Jesus Christ. But if you were to ask Jesus, hey Jesus, who's your family? He doesn't start with, well, I have my brother Jude and I have my mother Mary. No, he's, who's your family? Well, I have Peter and I have James and I have John. If you're to ask who your family is, the answer is who has received the word? That is what makes someone most fundamentally who they are. But let me give you hope for all of us, no matter what soil you are this morning. Whether you think I'm the first, I'm the second, I'm the third, this is not the only time Jesus talks about seed. In John 12, Jesus talks about seed and he says this, the hour is come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And truly I tell you, unless a grain of seed falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But when it falls to the earth and dies, it bears much fruit. See, the seed that Jesus is ultimately talking about is himself. And his seed, his life, did come to the earth and did die on the cross for all of us. And like any good seed, he rose again to grow in new life for all who will come to faith in him. See, the good news about the parable of the soils is that the fertilization for our growth is the blood of our Lord Jesus. The nutrients that we need are simply what Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. See, the good news of the parable of the soils is that Jesus is the seed that will give life at the cost of his own. So the question is, do I have ears to hear? Am I willing to admit that previously I've just been uninterested in the word? Maybe I've known about it, but I've never let it penetrate and radically change me. Maybe my heart, frankly, has been divided. There is a sense in which I love the Bible, but there's a greater sense in which there's some sinful activity in my life that I really, really cherish. I have a bad relationship. I know it's wrong, but I love it more than Christ. I have some career pursuits, I know they're wrong, but I love them more than Christ. I have a private sin that nobody else knows about and I know it's wrong, but I love it more than Christ. Will you have ears to hear and receive the seed and find the good truth? It's so simple, right? Ears to hear, but it's so rare. This week, my wife and I were going for a morning walk together early, and someone was walking towards us, and he almost bumped into us, and that's no small feat, because we have four children and two strollers. <laughs> if you can't see us coming, you know. But he almost bumped into us because he had in AirPods and was looking at his phone. And when we passed him, I said to Steph, how could I share the gospel to someone like that? He literally could not hear me. But it's even worse than that, right? Because what do we normally play on our AirPods? We reinforce, as in an echo chamber, the things we already like. Take whatever political tribe you like, I guarantee you there's a podcast for that. <laughs> Take whatever your jam is, somebody out there is giving you more content than you could ever listen to. See, it's so simple, but so few ever have ears to hear to actually embrace and understand what God wants. But notice how counterintuitive Jesus' kingdom is. See, if Napoleon comes to your town, you know his kingdom has come because you either receive it or you're crushed. In fact, even in American democracy, if the president you don't like still gets voted in, 
Well, he's your president now. You got to go along. That's how it is. But Jesus' kingdom advances like a seed, not a boulder. A boulder smashes the ground and leaves a dent. It crushes, but it actually doesn't transform. But seed gets deep into the soil and it transforms from the inside out. Sometimes people say, well, why doesn't Jesus just descend from heaven, land on the White House, do another miracle, and make everybody follow him? Well, there's a lot of reasons we could give. One is God is gracious and forbearing. Two, he did all that and people rejected him anyway. But third, Jesus' kingdom grows like a seed because a seed grows much better than a boulder ever could. Think, Jesus has been gone 2,000 years. How much has his seed, the simple gospel message, produced? No stick of dynamite could have done that to any field. No boulder could have done that to any land, but Jesus did it by sacrificially dying and then having a message that progresses the same. Now, one more sobering, frightful thing that you can, for you to consider. The good seed will grow up along those who never accept. That's the next parable. It begins in verse 24. He put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field. But then to summarize it, the wheat, the good seed, grows up next to the weeds. And for a long time, the weeds think they're fine. But look in verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. You need to understand this morning that if you do not know Christ, if you've never let the seed penetrate into your heart, it is urgently important that you respond to Christ in saving faith. Because the day will come where Jesus has given the seed enough time, and then he will reap. And those who are not gathered in his barn are burned. The reality for those who don't accept Christ could not be any more sobering. The simple gospel message of a seed is received by faith. And this morning I encourage you to respond in faith. But Christians, when you feel discouraged sharing the seed, when you feel discouraged sharing the gospel, remember this. The gospel's efficacy, its power, is not due to the technique of the soil spreader, but to God's grace to work in the soil. If you went to like soil casting college, if they had one of those, <laughs> and you competed on ESPN 12 to cast seed because you're so good at it, you would not be any more successful than a toddler with a bag who's dropping it haphazardly. You see, the soil under the gardener's sovereign grace is what causes it to produce. So be encouraged this week when you feel afraid to share the simple gospel with someone else. Who knows? Just share it as well as you can and don't be afraid to speak because God grows the soil. But also remember this this morning. This simple parable hinges on this key truth. Entering the kingdom and being the good soil is a willingness to not merely hear but to truly hear and understand. So pray for ears to hear. But be encouraged by this. Whatever rocks or thorns are in your life, the gardener can take those out. You don't have to. 
You just have to have ears to hear. Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, I thank you for a simple but profound parable. Lord, help us to have the humble heart that David had when he was exposed to be the very sinner that the parable was talking about indirectly. And then David repented greatly for his sin. This morning, this room is full of people that are the first, second, third, or fourth soil. Give us ears to hear. Our natural disposition is to defend ourselves and to justify why we are a good person and how dare you imply the opposite. Help us to remember, Lord, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners who will admit that they are sinners. He came to rescue those who are poor in spirit, not those who think they're at least upper middle class in spirit. He came, Lord, so that he could die and bear fruit in our life when we are united to him by faith. Perhaps someone this morning has heard the word but never let it penetrate to their heart. Lord, give them ears to hear. Perhaps someone this morning has had joy that's superficial. They get excited about Christian stuff well until it gets difficult. Help them to realize that they've never let you be their king. They've tried to use you to serve their own ends. May they have ears to hear. Someone this morning has had a divided heart. They may have been in church for decades, but there's sinful things that they will not give up. They will not let them go. Lord, today release their grip so that they can have ears to hear and finally find the joy that sustains of knowing Christ. Lord, I thank you also that the fruit is not something that we are empowered to yield, but it happens because of the root, Jesus Christ. And it will vary. And yet, all of those variations of crops are glorifying to you whether 30 or 60 or 100. So help us to not compare ourselves to each other, but to rejoice that the root is producing in our life. And God, in all these things, may Christ be glorified. In his name I pray, amen. You've been listening to Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, Go to ebcraleigh.com. That's e b c r a l e i g h dot com.